0: Well, there we are. Chapter 2 in Ruth, we rejoin a pretty epic story. And I wonder, as you think of stories, favourite stories, what would come to mind? And I say story, and I use story in the widest sense of the term. Maybe uh, your favourite book, or maybe a favourite film. Maybe it's a a life event that's been documented. What is... Your favourite story. Think of one that you've watched back or read back or relived multiple times. One that you really, really love. Maybe it's Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe it's a documentary on Netflix. Maybe you've tuned into Clarkson's Farm, The Test all or nothing, or maybe it's a classic, Matrix, James Bond. You know one, one of those stories that you've relived multiple times that you know where it's going, but each time you watch it you just enjoy different details. It's very different, isn't it? The first time you experience, you live the story from the hundredth time, the tenth time you go back because you know just where it's heading. The first time you watch a film, you read a book, you read or watch a documentary, you, you genuinely don't know how it will be resolved. It's more emotionally loaded and involved. But then, when you go back to watch it a fifth time, read it a tenth time, relive it, you just notice these tiny moments, moments where the story really hung on these details. You come to appreciate really different bits of the story. Without fail, a story that you love becomes more alive. There's maybe not quite the same emotional, intense feeling because you know that it's going to be resolved but you are able to notice something more of how the details contribute to the story. Don't know if you've ever avoided a sports fixture result to wait for the highlights, or wait for match of the day maybe. You get these moments where you watch back and the highlights are edited in such a way you can kind of work out what's happening. If they spend an unusual amount of time on A pit stop or a substitution or or some event you can tell you can see that it's going to contribute to the story it's been edited in such a way that it it brings out the details you see when you edit when you go back when you relive you've got the benefit of hindsight it gives you the context for what's going to happen maybe you avoided bake-off this week few Bake Off fans around the room, I'm sure. And you saw on social media, or you heard, there's drama in the Bake Off this week. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's drama in the Bake Off this week. And you just watch with a slightly different eye. You you focus, you, you look out for what's going to happen. We do it naturally when we tell stories of our own life events. We include and we express the details that really contribute to the the point, the moment, that things all get resolved. And here in the book of Ruth, we're unraveling the story. And chapter 2, it gives us something of the, the benefit of the editor's notes. We get something of the perspective such that the narrator brings in detail that really helps us understand where the story's going. And chapter 2, it begins with one of these notes. And they're interspersed throughout. This week we're going to see three scenes again. The introduction, the mealtime and the reflection. So first, scene 1, the introduction. Verse 1 Have a look down. It would be really helpful if you have that red Bible in your hands. Have a look down verse 1. It's one of these notes. Because it's a detail that we didn't know already. It's a detail that Ruth didn't seem to know. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing, from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. See, it again leaves the door ajar. For some sign of hope for Naomi. We heard, as Greg recap, it was a story of tragedy and heartache last week for Naomi. Because until this point, that's all that she's seen. The end of chapter one finished with a tiny glimmer of hope for us. As we see, the harvest is starting, but it's been a story of no source of income, no food, no provision for Naomi and Ruth. It's been an experience of tragedy. And so the story carries on. Have a look at verse 2. Ruth goes to collect food for them from the corner of the field. Now, it might sound a bit random then that the first detail of the first scene of chapter 2, she goes to the corner of the field to pick up food for her and her mother-in-law. But there's a reason for it. Leviticus chapter 23 Verse twenty-two. It's a, a law for God's people. It says this: When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. You see, it was commanded to God's people that they would operate like this to leave um, food for those that are foreigners and in need in their land. So Ruth had hope. She had hope that she could still support Naomi. And you see, look at verse 3. As she goes out to collect the food she's gleaning, who does she end up? Whose field does she end up in? Of course, the field of Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, who might just be able to help this family. She's a rel- he's a relative of Naomi, this woman in need. But look carefully at the language of verse 3. Just have a look down. It's just brilliant. Because it's edited. It's narrated. Just as we might reflect on the story of our own life. As it turned out... She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, as if it was some kind of coincidence, or the, the details of this story are just falling into place... It's not just as it turned out. No, the author is convinced that God is in control of holding all the details as it turned out is irony. It really contributes to what's going to happen that it turned out that Ruth was in this field. A few years ago, uh, we lived in Baldock in Hertfordshire and we were actually living with my parents for a little bit of time um, Elise was uh, going to have a baby, I was going to be a student and we were trying to find a flat to live in. Those three things all at once don't make uh, for very happy uh, house hunting because if you did the maths there, we had precisely zero income between us and trying to find a flat at the same time and it was pretty depressing because we wanted to find a place to live and we wanted to be able to use the house, well we wanted to... Uh, look after a child and we wanted to provide um, a place for some of the young people at our church to come and i think we looked at more properties at that point than we have at any other time we were looking for a property and it was pretty depressing because our um, budget was pretty tight as you worked out and we were walking into places and going um, thanks very much and then walking out and going no we can't live there And we did the same time after time and we were looking and we were looking and it was getting stressful. The thought of baby coming and exams looming, it made it very difficult. And we found this one flat that was pretty hopeful. It was quite nice. Um, There was a bit more space and we uh, asked, inquired. We came away and we were pretty hopeful but it was certainly quite expensive for us. And we... um, we went away, we talked about it, we then called up the estate agent and said we'd love, to, um, we'd love to go ahead and proceed and we'd try and work the details out. And so that all went away, we, we went home, we talked about it, and um, we are just, we're just slightly unsure. Now, that evening I happened to get a text message from uh, a Christian missionary who had been at our church before that I'd known for 15 years that was currently serving in Asia and texted me to say oh, um, are you looking for a flat in Bulldog? I text back saying yes, I am but we've just agreed, uh, we've just agreed on one and I, I remember going to bed thinking oh, that's so frustrating uh, presumably she's got some flat or she knows someone that's got a flat and we've just agreed on one and maybe it could have been better if we'd gone with her Woke up in the morning, got a phone call from the estate agent, baffled. She said, I've had a phone call from the landlord this morning. They're thrilled that you want to take the flat. They've reduced the price significantly. I was like, oh, that's good. Honestly, didn't put two and two together straight away. And then my dad told me that he'd been in contact with her, and it was, in fact, the same flat, the very same flat. As it happened, the very same flat was the flat that we'd agreed on. Now, you could just say, as it happened, of course, but with no careful planning, no clever ideas, no person fixing it up for us, we'd just happened to decide on this flat. And look, maybe in a circumstance like that, it's very easy to say, oh, well, of course, God provided for us then. But it is, it's, it's pretty rare, isn't it, that things become so clear so quickly. More often than not, the story continues like we see here. It might look like, from our human perspective, that things happen by chance normally because we can't quite grasp the perspective in the moment. I can tell you when I went to bed that night, I was gutted. I wasn't thankful for the Lord's provision because I didn't recognise it. Have a look at verse 4. Boaz, he greets the harvesters warmly. And for some reason, he asks after Ruth. The workers then explain to him that this is Ruth, She's returned from Moab with Naomi. And presumably, uh, at that point, something twigs for Boaz. And he's got a vested interest in the family. And so, of course, he looks after her. Look at verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, "'My daughter, listen to me. "'Don't go and glean in another field, "'and don't go away from here. "'Stay with the women who work for me. "'Watch the field where the men are harvesting "'and follow along after the women.' I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. See, at this moment, the tide seems to have turned for Ruth and Naomi. But without the editor's notes, without the context that we can read, we can see the story being knitted together as we read. It makes no sense. Look at how Ruth responds in verse 10. At this... She bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? It makes no sense. Remember, she's still in the trenches, battling, fighting for survival. She's still got the burden of All of what's gone on in her family. She's still in the context of tragedy and chaos. We can be so quick as we read it to think, oh, it's completely turned around. It's all good from here on in. But even here, Ruth's battling to see what's going on. And here's where Boaz pulls things together for us quite nicely. Look at verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Because you see, this as it turned out meeting is not an as it turned out. In fact, God is in complete control. We might use the word sovereign. But in the moment, Ruth or Boaz can't necessarily see how the plan is unfolding, what's going to happen. No, you see, remember, Boaz has made the decision to honour God by showing his kindness. That's what he did as he left the the corner of his field. He welcomed a stranger. And... You see what Ruth's intention has been in what Boaz says. Her intention was to honour Naomi's God by supporting her and finding refuge in him. You see, in play, in this story, at the very same time are two significant things. God is sovereign and in complete control and in charge of every single detail of what's going on. And at the very same time, Ruth and Boaz are responsible for their own decisions, for, for making a decision that honours God. The two things don't contradict in each other in any way. They work together in tandem. The theological term for that is concurrence. At the very same time, God is in complete control and we are responsible for our actions. And that is so helpful for us because sometimes... In the context of the mess, in circumstances where things are really tricky, there's no way we could see the bigger picture. There's not always the the perspective at in the moment. We can't always decipher God's sovereign plan when we're right in the mix of it. Sometimes we hurt. And yet, we know that God is in complete control. He is at work and we can trust him and actually that means it is good for us in those moments to make decisions that honour him as the sovereign king of the universe. I wonder what's come to mind as we've thought about tough circumstances in the last two weeks. What is it? Maybe it's very raw and real to you right now maybe the battle of what's going on in life doesn't need much thinking about maybe it takes a bit more time to think of that tough circumstance i know some of you are right in the trenches and and it might not be clear how god is at work right now pulling things together for your good but god is faithful even to a people who fail him. And he's gracious even using our own actions as part of his plan. You can cling to him in the midst of really difficult things. And it is good for us to make God-honoring decisions. Well, look what happens next. Boaz is... Kindness, it continues. Scene two, the mealtime. Ruth is invited to dinner. She eats all she could possibly want. There's leftovers. She gets up to carry on. And Boaz is just abundantly helpful. He just continues to help. He gives an ephah of barley. That probably equates to about uh, two weeks of supplies for two people. It's abundantly helpful. You know that feeling when you get something that you just can't quite get your head around how good it is? It's so unbelievably generous. You can't wait to go and tell someone. It it, it, it takes time to get your head around. Here's Ruth and Naomi. They've been struggling for years. They're lonely. They're vulnerable. They can't provide for themselves. They're struggling. They need help. And as it happened... On meeting this man, everything seems to be changing. You can just imagine Ruth walking back to Naomi, fully laden with barley, beaming. It's like walking in to tell your family or friends that you've just won a holiday. You've just been given a pay rise. You've been given a tax rebate or something far more exciting. (laughs) But how much more thrilled are you when it's something you so desperately need and you receive it in abundance I wonder what that thing is at the moment desperate for a night of sleep and one comes in full desperately struggling financially and a large injection of cash really struggling in the stress and strain of work desperate for a new one Maybe in that moment if something arises, you could so quickly go to thanking the, the person that gives it. Maybe it, it might just be a relief. You go, ah, we just so desperately needed that. Maybe you think, oh, well, it's about time. We've been waiting for that for so, we deserve that. How do you respond when the thing you so desperately need comes along? Let's have a look at Ruth and Naomi's response. Scene three, the reflection. Look, Naomi's response as Ruth bowls in the door with 13 kilograms of barley on her back. Where did you glean today? Where did you work? You can imagine, can't you, the, the, <laughs> the uproar, the surprise as she comes back with 13 kilograms on her back. Naomi wants to know who's responsible for this kindness. And Ruth says, it's Boaz. Look at verse 20, as as Naomi recognises, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And you see here in that moment, that moment right there is really interesting because probably for the first time in the book, something one of the characters says brings a wider understanding to us. For the first point, it's not the editor's notes that bring some clarity on what God might be doing in this moment. But for the very first time, Naomi seems to be recognising God's kindness. There's a shift. The detail isn't given by the editor, it's given by Naomi. This could be a guardian redeemer. Here's two clues that Naomi's starting to twig. First, Naomi orientates her response towards God, not just to Boaz. The Lord bless him. That's what she says. She recognizes that Boaz's decision is to honor God. He is one of God's people. But look at the second thing she says He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now I wonder, just read that sentence back again, I wonder as you read it who you thought he was, probably Boaz in the flow of the sentence, but it could equally be God, in fact there's many scholarly arguments about who the he is in that sentence, now I'm not sure we can know definitively, in fact it might just be that it's ambiguous, But what we can surely say, at the very least, is that in God's loving kindness, shown through Boaz, Naomi is blessed. Naomi has responded by acknowledging God. She's responded that God's got something to do with what's going on. Here's the second clue. Look back down at verse 20. She added, that man is our close relative, He is one of our guardian redeemers. See, Naomi for the first time has a glimmer of hope in her eyes. That is exactly what her family needs. He could be the one to redeem the family. And you see what's remarkable about Naomi in this moment is there's a change. She's gone from bitter, empty, mara, to feeling blessed, feeling hopeful. She's recognising God's loving kindness. And as Naomi reflects with Ruth, there's still a danger. There's still a danger for her that she could remain bitter and only cling to Boaz as the solution. She could just go, oh, that man, he's a top guy. He's given us all we need. Let's just stay near him. It's all about Boaz. But remember, Boaz, he's reflecting God's loving kindness to his people. Boaz is obedient to the law. And for us, the picture of Boaz reflects the kindness that God demonstrates for us. We're to look through Boaz, a Redeemer, to Jesus, the Redeemer, who when we were far off, in desperate need, bitter, vulnerable, alone, desperate for provision, Jesus gave himself for us in full. And you see, there's a danger Like last week, we saw in really trying circumstances, in grief, in sadness and sorrow, we lose sight of the faithful God. A God who is faithful, even to a people who reject him. A God who gives all we need in Jesus. But there's a danger too, that in the day to day, in normal life, We don't recognise his loving kindness to us either. Are you in danger of rolling out the phrase, as it happened? Are you in danger of being fixated on good things that appear in life without recognising the giver? Sometimes I think I'm really challenged that we're slow to say, God's done this. God's given us this. And it's right to be cautious sometimes, sometimes. But I wonder if we could be more intentional in reading our own life stories, a bit like how we read Ruth. Do you keep a record of the things that you ask God for? Could you revisit them and recognise the ways in which God answers? Are you in danger that when God shows his loving kindness to you today, you miss it? As we close chapter 2, have a look at verse 22. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. She doesn't know what, she doesn't know how, but she knows it will be good to stay near Boaz. And so we eagerly await the next chapter. What will that look like? How will God provide for this family? But as we close, there's maybe three helpful ways we can look, like Naomi does in verse 20 to 22, when the story of life is unfolding. We can look back on God's faithfulness, on how he's never failed in his extraordinary commitment to his people, Look back on what he's done throughout history, what he's done in the Bible, what he's done ultimately in the Lord Jesus, and what he's done in our own life. And recognise as we look back that the Lord is faithful. We can look out, look out for God's loving kindness in our unfolding story today. We need to employ an active orientation that recognises that God is at work. Because he uses as-it-turned-out moments, to provide for his people. He uses the faithfulness of his own people. And we can look forward, look forward for God's deliverance. And just like Naomi here, we often don't know what that looks like in the struggle of the moments that we face, the circumstances that feel overwhelming. We don't know exactly what God's deliverance might look like in the immediate it might be some kind of miraculous intervention on its way soon but it could well not be it could be a long struggle that that culminates ultimately in a glorious ultimate deliverance in heaven but what we do know for sure is that he will deliver and it will be good for us to stay close to him in Naomi's words Will we look out, look forward? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are in control of all things and you are unendingly kind to your people. Father, please would you help us in circumstances that are overwhelming, in circumstances that are tough, in circumstances that are mundane, to recognise that you are unendingly kind to your people and that we would praise you because of it. Amen. Well, we're going to sing together of how God indeed holds us fast, is in control and provides all that we need to lessen together. Thank you.